Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman, and my pronouns are she and her. On today, we have special guest Max, who is a public servant, so humanities and global politics educators. If your ears just perked up, after you're done listening to our conversation, you'll want to head on over to the show notes so that you can learn more about ways to directly connect with Max. Now, on with the show. Hello, my name is Max McAuliffe, uh, they, he, she. I am proudly one big Q in LGBTQ. Uh, I'm queer in sexual orientation, and I just so happen to be genderqueer as well. Uh, I am, I would call myself a queer rights activist and a proud democratic socialist. Um, right now, uh, because that takes multiple different forms. Uh, I'm the public policy coordinator and community liaison for GLSEN Lower Hudson Valley. Uh, GLSEN being a national LGBTQ uh, educational nonprofit. Um, and I do the political and advocacy work for um, Westchester, Rockland and Putnam County, uh, New York and all of the K through 12 school districts in those. Um, I serve on the advisory council with Equality New York and an organization called Query, uh, Queer with a Y. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I recently ran for Queer DSA National Co-Chair. Um, I lost by a razor thin margin, like 10 votes or something crazy like that. But um, I was honored to run. And uh, yeah, I would say that's the bulk of it. And it, it is sort of a, it is bulky. It's, it's quite a bit, Max, uh, <laughs> sort of with all of those various titles. Um, I really appreciate in your Medium uh, post, that's sort of your About Me post, you list the organizations that you work for, and then you go on to say, uh, I'm going to you know, quote from you here, you say, quote, most people who work in these types of fields don't have one title for themselves because true public servants go where they are needed, end quote. So Max, I'm wondering if you might share with us, you know, an anecdote of what it has meant really for you to learn how to know where your work is needed. Yeah. Um, also, by the way, I forgot to mention, you can find me on Medium at Max McAuliffe, but also same handle for Twitter. Um, yeah, um, I, I want to thank you for bringing that up. I want to reflect on um, true, like you said, true public servants don't, um, they just go where they're needed. You know, we hold the various titles and whatever, but in the end of the day, it's um, it's about, you know, bringing your skills, your passion and your expertise into the uh, particular fields that you are drawn to and then just uh, implementing them as needed. Um, I wasn't planning on going actually into the educational sector with my queer rights activism. But when I saw this chapter, um, when I was in college, uh, you know, looking for initially what started out to be an internship and then turned into full-fledged, you know, board member and then turned into an actual, you know, part-time job as the public policy coordinator. Um, I, they said they needed me and I said, I'm here to help, <laughs> uh, which sounds a little, you know, maybe arrogant or narcissistic, but, um, uh, you know, I saw that there was a lot of um, assumption that in the area, especially like Westchester County, that 
these areas are so progressive or they're so liberal that you don't need to do any sort of LGBTQ work. And that's just not true. Um, we definitely needed to go in and advocate not only for just general supportive, you know, sort of that rainbow capitalist policy, but gen actual progressive policy that uplifts um, our students and educators. Fantastic. And, you know, I, I often wonder sometimes if as queer people, an advantage that we have is just being open to not necessarily, you know, having kind of a mapped out pathway. I mean, in order to be queer, you sort of have to be willing to say, I'm going to navigate things, you know, a little bit on my own agenda. And I wonder if just some of that flexibility, um, you know, that you mentioned in, in terms of, you know, being open, you know, being capable and willing to say yes to things that weren't necessarily on the horizon. Um, if that's just sort of an advantage maybe that we have, uh, you know, I, I certainly have felt that, that I don't, you know, because the, the narrative has not necessarily meant for me as a queer woman, you do this, then you do that, then you do this. Um, I don't know if that's if that's maybe been your experience too. That it inherently it just offers us uh, a little bit of a more flexible, maybe more possibility uh, is the word I'm looking for. Yes, um, I have to say that's so incredibly insightful. I, I have to fully agree, both in my personal life and in my professional life. Um, it's very much about um, though I'm a very like organized person. Um, you know, I mean, a, a great example, I'm, apl I'm applying to full-time jobs right now, and it's with multiple different areas of work, and I don't know which one is going to hire me, and then I don't know where I'm going to live next, and that's okay. <laughs> I go exactly where I go where I'm needed, and um, I, I feel like it's both a positive. It's inherently, um, you know, this open space, so this open, you know, not restricted to social norms that comes with being a queer person and then also you know that being the glass half full I guess the glass half empty being we are used to you know not to speak on your experience but to where you a lot of us are used to adaptation because we've been forced to mm. and I think that's heteronormativity in a nutshell um so I would say you know we are I am proud to be queer in that aspect of um not being tied down to certain, uh, you know, standards, certain expectations, while at the same time, um, that's, it's, it's part of our historical trauma. That's it's so true, Max. And it's sort of, you know, I, I think a compliment that often comes is, you know, queer people are so resilient and exactly what you said, it's not necessarily by choice um, is, is kind of a, a key thing to remember. Uh, I'd like to dig into a refrain that I've seen you uh, write in several of your posts. In several of your posts, you say, quote, queer rights are human rights and queer policy is progressive policy. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what that has meant for you? Yes, um, it has really been turned into, um, I say it over and over and over again, and I don't want people to think I'm being ingenuine about it or I am branding myself or anything with my activism, but I'm intentionally trying to get that point across that not only are queer rights human rights, but queer policy is progressive policy. This is not just my opinion. This is based on the statistical truth that LGBTQ plus voters across the country support bold progressive policy 
because historically, as in the queer liberation movement, whether it be Los Angeles, New York, everything in between, um, we have always, because we are inherently an intersectional community, um, we are not just fighting for LGBTQ issues. We historically are a racial justice movement. We are a socioeconomic movement. We are a mental health movement, a housing justice movement. And that continues to be the case. Um, if you look at polling done both nationally and on a state-by-state -state basis, I am not surprised that over 70% of LGBTQ voters wanted Bernie Sanders to be our president. Um, with Elizabeth Warren in a distant second and Pete Buttigieg, the only openly queer candidate that ran in 2020 on the Democratic uh, side, barely came in third. <laughs> um, you know, where we want to emphasize that point that representation only matters if you're going to support the policy that uplifts us. And that's bold, progressive policy. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, queer people have become quite familiar with the idea of, you know, representation just because you have a person who might identify uh, does not necessarily mean it's it's the representation that we're looking for at this point in time. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Uh, Max, the, the vast majority of my audience are educators, and I know that they will be listening, uh, you know, and, and thinking again about the bio and, and the different sort of uh, roles that you have played and are playing in your life. And I know that they'll be thinking about their students who, you know, might already be showing an interest in becoming more civically engaged, um, you know, really in, in kind of taking your stance of, I will go where I am needed, which is a wonderful stance. We need more, more people to take that on. What recommendations might you have for educators who are thinking, you know, I really want to foster the mindsets that are useful for individuals that want to pursue a path like you have, where uh, you know you want to be a public servant. Uh, what are what are some recommendations you might have to just you know really encourage that? Yeah, thank you. I stress to you know all the time that I think we're told um, because of how our current. Which let me back up a bit. Glisten as a national organization is a nonprofit legally we are nonpartisan um that's why i go by queer rights activists in general because that takes many forms where my listen work is nonpartisan work and then my work as an activist is very much coming from the progressive angle um we have been told because of how our political system is structured in a very um kind of narrow and binary matter that um you have to do certain things within certain parties to climb up the ladder to make actual change. And it's honestly um, much simple, much simpler than it, uh, it actually is. Um, I had inherent passions. Um, I had things that I was interested in. And I said, I'm going to go at this full force and just find the outlets that will foster what um, I want to do. And, you know, whether it's students or you know you're an adult and wanting to get more civically involved, you definitely will be told that you have to do certain things a certain way. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. <laughs> um, you will find groups and people that want to uplift how you want to approach your passions and your and your interests. Um, so I would say for educators, you know, especially GSA advisors, um, have those open 
discussions. You know, you don't even have to have a structure. Just talk about whatever comes to the table during that discussion. You know, um, don't be deterred if let's say you have a whole like hour talking about voting rights and then you you go home and you're like, well, I wanted the GSA meeting to go more in a directly queer direction. It did. <laughs> you know, that's what came up and queer rights are human rights. So that means every all issues are queer issues and um, allowing those things to naturally come up is the way to uh, promote it, allow, uplift voices and allow open discussion. And even that, you know, as you're talking about that, I realize, you know, of course, there are educators who are very confident in, uh, you know, allowing dialogue to truly be student driven, you know, to value student voice. And as you mentioned, you know, go where the conversation wants to go organically. Uh, and I've also worked with some educators who they feel perhaps a hesitation in doing that. Uh, you know, I'm wondering if you sort of had that lived experience of, of perhaps, you know, just seeing that level of facilitation. Uh, and if you have any, any tips again for educators who are thinking, yeah, I, I do want to make sure that I'm valuing student voice, that conversations, that students are really, you know, able to go in and have that level of debate, level of discourse that someone like you needs to be capable of and, and, you know, it might not necessarily be that the conversation has a clear outcome, but I, I love that you're reminding us that sometimes it's it's about the conversation. It's not necessarily about ending with a right, a so-called right answer, if you will. Um, you know, in your experience, have you seen facilitators, um, you know, kind of artfully do that? And, and do you have any other just recommendations in terms of of how to be that facilitator where students know the conversation belongs to us. It's not necessarily something that's been dictated. Yeah, thank you. I definitely a circumstantial uh, matter, you know, like for example, if it's just a general discussion, a general conversation you want to start because you're noticing in your group or your classroom, there's not enough discussion, that's more free form in my opinion. If an event happens, good or bad, um, in connotation, that needs to be approached in a sensitive manner, then obviously I would have more structure to it. So you, you keep the conversation on track. But even then, in both instances, it's going to be, or it has to be an open, an open dialogue. You're there as the mediator to make sure the pathos doesn't overwhelm, but while still allowing mature pathos to occur. Um, again, it, you know, indirectly related, for example, like one of my last courses I had when I was a senior at college um, was about uh, ageism, essentially. It was a sociology class. Every single class, my professor artfully taught, but ended up hysterically crying each time because she decided to teach that class because of she was the main caregiver for her mother who went through... Um, I don't know exact the exact diagnosis, but it was severe. Um, no, it was Alzheimer's disease. And um, the way she approached it was she let herself feel while still being able to like talk about her experiences and teach the class from both a left and right brain way. And 
I think that's how those discussions have to go. You know, it wasn't to the point where it was counterproductive. She, she used that and to propel the discussion forward. Um, so yeah, I would say it's definitely a circumstantial, um, a circumstantial instance and whether or not how much structure you have to the conversation, but um, in the end of the day, you know, you, ha you have to talk about those personal issues that come up. Um, I think going back to heteronormativity, you know, uh, we need more comprehensive sex ed in our schools. And for some reason, you know, not only is sex ed not taught because we see it as inappropriate, but then people say, well, we can't talk about LGBTQ things in school because they see it as like a inappropriate over-sexualized topic when that's just not true. So you know the truth between like what is real and what is heteronormativity. And um, we need to have those discussions and they can be done in a productive and mature manner, even if it feels uncomfortable at first, you have to break that barrier. That's great. And I, I kind of even like that as a, a guiding question, you know, go into the, into it, asking yourselves how much structure needs to be here and what makes me believe so, um, you know, and test your assumption about that. Uh, and it's kind of a nice segue, Max, you know, what you're mentioning about bring your humanity into the conversation. Uh, it reminds me of uh, a great post that I will have in the show notes. So listeners, uh, you'll be able to find the link to this. The post is called Queer Activists, You Are Enough. And uh, you put forward the following piece of, of advice. You say, quote, you are more than your activism, end quote. So I'm wondering, Max, if you might share with us how that advice has been useful to you personally. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a workaholic. Uh, I, I, have, I was on a date recently and um, they asked me like, what do you do for fun? And I really couldn't answer the question. <laughs> I, um, I, I love what I do as an activist. And if anything, that kind of little moment of embarrassment uh, needed, needed to happen. So I could remember like, I need to schedule for myself as cringy as it sounds, play time. I need to allow myself to be human and enjoy myself, even if it's not something like a hobby, just, you know, go read a book on the hammock or something. Um, it's, you are not your activism. And though there's a quote Mondaire Jones ran on, uh, Representative Mondaire Jones, uh, he said throughout his campaign, politics is personal. We have to remember that politics is a very, uh, human field, a human discussion, um, especially even if it's non-political, but still, which that's not even true. I was about to say non-political LGBTQ issues, but our existence is inherently political. Um, but uh, you have to remember you're human too, and you can't be there for others if you're not there for yourself. Um, and it doesn't mean that the work that you're doing is harmful. <laughs> it just means, you know, just like with everything, you have to have that, that moderation. And though I have gotten some responses from when I've told people, other activists, you're not your, you know, you are not your, your activism. They've almost got offended. And at first, when I heard it for the first time, I got offended because it is personal. But at the same time, you know, I had to sit with it and be like, you know, that's, 
that's true. I have to, um, it, it, is an, it is a part of me. It is not all of me. And, you know, I, I definitely get the sense that overwhelming you, you are so happy and so thankful that it is a part of you. And I'm wondering, Max, if you could just give us a little more insight into, um, you know, students who might be thinking about going into the field of activism or, you know, making that the, the profession that they pursue. What would you tell them in terms of, you know, you will enjoy it if... So, you know, you clearly have such a passion for it. And, and under what conditions is it, you know, this is going to be a great, um, you know, kind of life choice for folks to pursue? Like, what are, what are some of the situations that, um, you know, this is, it's an enjoyable to you because of? I'm going to, I'm going to answer that by almost reflecting your question. You will enjoy it if you do it under your conditions. <laughs> um, there's going to be universal truths, but in the end of the day, you have to stand your ground and know that what you're doing, as long as you are benefiting others and you know that's the right way to go, you need to have that self-confidence and that self-esteem, which I'm still working on. You need to be able to realize that you are still a developing person and you are, don't stop growing until the day that you die. <laughs> and you have to realize that the field that you work in is just as human and adaptable. Um, there is no constants um, besides the general abstract concepts of queer rights or human rights. That is unchanging. But um, you have to understand that there's going to be good times, there's going to be bad times. And um, I call myself a progressive, not because progress is linear, but knowing that I have to stay in the present moment and just do what I feel is right in the moment with the needs being expressed to me. Ah, that's, that's great. And I think, you know, there's real wisdom in that that really kind of applies to a lot of professions. If you can get comfortable with the idea that things will not always be linear or, you know, that it's not necessarily an A to Z process, um, I think so many things become a little bit easier uh, if you can get comfortable with that. Sometimes easier said than done, but thank you for, for sharing that with us. So Max, I always love to ask guests for recommendations. Uh, you know, it still is the summer. So I know that listeners, uh, you know, might still have a little more time to, you know, go check out a book or a film recommendation, a podcast, even a social media account. And I'm wondering if you might point us to a resource or two that's sort of meant a lot to you recently that you think, you know, listeners, uh, and again, of course, our audience, these are folks who, like you, see themselves as capable of making change when it comes to LGBTQ plus inclusion. So are there a few resources that you might point us to, um, you know, in, in terms of these might be of interest or they've been useful to you in one way or another? Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. And I try to incorporate that when I'm interviewing candidates, for example, for like uh, written interviews on my Medium page. Uh, so I'm, I'll answer that in two parts, both political and the non-political. Um, directly political, I would look into other organizations that are outside your field, that you think, I should say, are outside your field. So for example, um, I, though I have the queer rights focus, 
um, I am constantly looking into intersectional things like racial justice, immigrant justice. Um, I've been really involved lately just for a sense of sanity, like outside of doing direct, directly queer issues, uh, like the rights of sex workers, uh, things like that. And uh, non-political, I would say, um, if you're heavy left brain, look into something that's right brain. If you're heavy right brain, look into something less left brain. So I would say I'm right brain with a left brain filter. Um, so I would just say that's sort of left brain. So then I'm incorporating, there's groups like in New York City, um, I have to find the name exactly, but I think it's Queer Art. It's a nonprofit organization directly um, uplifting and publishing art by queer artists. And um, that is basically, I mean, uh, holds the same uh, level of impact, in my opinion, in terms of like that, that oomph, that power behind it, um, that queer politics does. And, you know, it kind of actually reminds me of uh, when Representative Ocasio-Cortez was a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> and um, she went backstage during their like Untucked series and uh, was talking to all the queens and they were all like expressing to her the different reasons why they love her and, you know, appreciate the work that she does. And she kind of just replied like, it's, it's not even me. It's, you know, artists and entertainers like you that are creating the social change that then pushes the governmental officials forward. And I needed that, um, I needed that reminder <laughs> personally to, um, so I don't become in a stuck routine with my political work um, and to see, you know, and, and just to ground myself more with the community that I'm advocating for, even though I'm a part of it. Um, so definitely, I, I would say in my personal experience, it's looking into queer art, um, but it definitely depends on your individual, the path that you're on. Um, yeah. And I love that suggestion, you know, because I, I think, really what you're saying is surprise yourself. You know, I think if, if we're in a line of work like you are where, you know, to some extent you have to be a creative problem solver. Mm -hmm. I think if, if that's the work we're engaging with, um, you know, that, that sort of engagement with surprise and, you know, engagement with things that are outside of, uh, you know, perhaps our day-to-day -day consumption, I do think that broadens perspectives. So that's a great recommendation. I think, um, you know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna think about that as I, I'm very organized in kind of queuing up my reading list. Uh, mm -hmm. And I usually give myself like a, by the end of summer, I wanna have made my way through, you know, such and such books. So Max, thank you for that. I think what I'm gonna do is grab a book that has not been on my radar, is not something that I would ordinarily um, be interested in. So thanks for, thanks for that, that piece of advice. And thank you so much for giving up some of your time today. I know that you are very busy and I'm really happy that you also mentioned your, your Twitter handle at the beginning because listeners, I will be sure to include that in the show notes so you can join me in following the work that Max does um, for the, the rest of the academic year and hopefully beyond. Max, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.